Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. Take your Bible, if you would, and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is your first time with us here at Coastal Oaks Church today. Thank you for being with us, and we really appreciate you being here. The way we're working through uh, our Sunday mornings this year, as well as our life groups, uh, in our D groups, we're reading through the New Testament. Last year, we read through the Old. This year, we're reading through the New. And so uh, this week and last and the next, we'll be reading through, passing through 1 Corinthians. Uh, and along the way, I stop on a Sunday morning and, and preach through one of the chapters that you will have read through uh, this week. And so uh, we're a little bit out of order, technically, according to the reading guide, because I wanted to hit chapter 15 on Easter Sunday, and that just didn't work out according to the schedule, so I made it work, and you all get to be a little confused in your reading with me. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're looking at spiritual gifts today, Um, and I want you to know that the Spirit of God um, is given to the people of God, that's the church, so that the world that God created might be drawn to the Son of God, which is Jesus Christ. Paul, having been in Corinth... We, living in Rockport, Fulton, Texas, are separated by geography. We're separated by time from where Paul was when he penned these words. But there is one thing that is absolutely still true, and that is that confusion and controversy somewhat remain around the nature and the reason for spiritual giftedness. And we read in our text this morning of that confusion by the Corinthians, abuse by the church in Corinth on some level, and you only need to Google or watch YouTube for some outlandish abuse of spiritual giftedness in the 21st century. But when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, the spiritual gifts, we can rest assured and we need to remember that our enemy and our adversary would like nothing else than to continue to cause confusion in the church, so discord, so uncertainty, to make us um, as ineffective as possible in advancing the kingdom of God. So whether it's uh, TBN's stable of characters, um, and as far as they'll go in one direction over the last 50 to 60 years, or the other direction where some would argue that there is absolutely no room for gifts anymore, Uh, we have to know that the scripture gives us the truth. Now, if you're anticipating, pastor, working through each and every spiritual gift today and to clarify every bit of confusion that you might have and settle the issue once and for all, you'll have to come back on another time and another channel for that one. But I will say that I look forward to the day that we can come back to, because right now, again, we're surveying through the New Testament I look forward to the day that we can come back and systematically work through the letter to, the, uh, to Corinth and work our way through 
these things. For today, I want to give you those, some, some corrective truths that Paul made very clear for us in chapter 12 when it comes to spiritual giftedness. And I'll also let you know that if you go to our church website, coastaloakschurch.org, I have uh, posted there a spiritual gifts inventory. It's under the tab that says serve. You have to look down and uh, there it is on the list. I'll try to make it a little more prominent. As I was going back over this morning, I realized that's kind of hard to tell you how to get there. So I, I need to make it a little more uh, upfront uh, if you're interested. Also, just so you know, my opinion on surveys like that and inventories, I don't like them, um, but it's what we've got. Um, and so it's a good starting point. Um, of course, the one thing that will always be the best thing is God's word um, for you to go through and pray through and with some wise counsel, find how you are gifted. Um, but uh, those inventories are helpful um, for you. So you can find it there on our church website. Um, so when we look at 1 Corinthians 12, again, here are three corrective truths that Paul gives the church in Corinth to correct the mistakes that they were making. One we'll call the Jesus corrective. The second, the grace corrective. Third, the church body corrective. All right. So let's look at this together. Chapter 12, starting in verse one, and I'll read through verse 13. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to be under. I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are, are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit. To another faith by the same spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one spirit, excuse me, by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Let's pray. Fathers, we come and have heard from your word this morning. I pray that you would, your word will speak to us in your presence. We'll keep our mind from distraction. Father, that your word will teach us what we do not know. Father, that your spirit at work in us would continue to shape us into what we are not yet, but that which you desire to make us, which is into Christ-likeness. Uh, Father, we pray that um, we would take a deep breath and Father, just sit back in amazement as we see that you have graced us with these gifts to serve in the church. And Father, that as we take up the mantle of service, Lord, that we would do so not for our own good or our own glory, but for yours and your glory alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's first look at the Jesus corrective, the first three verses of chapter 12. Paul had apparently received this question from the church to further explain 
about these special abilities or these gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to each believer. His initial response is pretty simple and straightforward. Hey, I don't want you to be ignorant. I mean, anybody wake up this morning wanting to be ignorant? Ah, it's a good day to, yeah, no, we don't wake up thinking like that. And so Paul cares for the church. He doesn't want them to be uninformed. You need to know what's happening with these gifts. That word uninformed or ignorant, depending on which translation you have, it is in, the, in its root, the English word for agnostic, which means that Paul doesn't want them to be in doubt. He doesn't want them to be uncertain about the truth. He wants them to know about these spiritual matters. Because if you're ignorant, if you're clueless, if you're agnostic, if you're unclear, you're undecided, then you are very much open and susceptible to wrong teaching and to false teaching, which will lead you to wrong living, which means at some point you're going to be ineffective in the church and in the body of Christ. You see that. In verse two, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, idols that cannot hear, cannot speak, have absolutely zero power to help you and to save you. But why are they asking this question? We don't exactly know why they asked the question. Did Paul leave them ignorant of the spirit's work? I would say I doubt it. How could other teachers come in and bring confusion on the matter, likely. And so they needed a reminder. There's much in the Corinthian culture that could have caused confusion that would have led them to a misunderstanding of these gifts, especially centered around the gifts that were considered to be extravagant or flashy or ecstatic, because you see that in their cultural religions and paganism. What gifts are available today? So those are some of the questions we, we would have. What is their purpose? What are their value in the church? Does every Christian have a spiritual gift or gifts? Am I supposed to seek after certain gifts or are they just given as God has designed? Can those gifts be controlled? Can they be developed? Can they be exchanged? What if I don't like my gift? Can I go back to the one who gave it and say, I don't like this one. Can I get another one? Are some gifts more important than others? These, this is where our confusion can come in as well. Now, something interesting in the language here, as Paul is writing this, in verse 1, Paul says about these spiritual gifts, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. We use the word spiritual gifts, but that word can also be translated as spiritual persons. And I think that gets more to the heart of the matter of what Paul is dealing with with the Corinthian church. As Ken Hemphill suggests that they're, these two are very closely related. And so for that reason, it's likely that what they're asking is, Paul, don't spiritual gifts prove that we are spiritual persons? We can be grateful for movements like the charismatic movement because what it should do is drive us to study the ministry of the Holy Spirit, not ignore him especially in regards to spiritual gifts. So whatever background you come from, certainly we can find some agreement that the Holy Spirit is the driving source for spiritual life in the church, for vitality, for empowerment, for ministry in the church. 
Empowerment doesn't come from my talents or your talents, our own abilities, our personalities. Empowerment comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to be ignorant. I also don't want you to be impotent because you're scared of the Holy Spirit. He's not to be scared. We don't need to be afraid of him. He is here for our good and God's glory. In light of this, we do and must look to the text to rightly understand this corrective that Paul has given the church in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. In Paul's letter, those three chapters are committed to the subject of spiritual gifts and what Paul was facing in the Corinthian church was this group, they, they would understand themselves to be the spirituals. We'll call them the spirituals, spiritual people, spiritual persons. The spirituals had puffed themselves up based on their giftedness. They're portraying themselves as superior because they have the flashy signs. So they see themselves as higher or better than we'll call them the lowers. Because the possessing of these higher level gifts must mean that they were more spiritual than, than the others. On the other side of that is the people that didn't view themselves as super spiritual persons viewed those other people as super spiritual persons. So you already see we have a class, a division happening in the church. Not only did they view those people that had the flashy gifts or signs, miraculous signs, whatever you want to call them, they viewed them that way, but they viewed themselves with the false assumption that their gifts did not matter in the church. That's a huge issue, as you'll find as you read through the end of chapter 12, because every gift matters. One other issue in the background in which the Corinthians came out of, as he says in verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, was that idolatrous religion that they were involved in. In those religions, the emphasis was added to the ecstatic, the dramatic, and the sensuous environment. So what you see happening in those places, the more ecstatic, dramatic, and sensuous the experience, getting in touch with our feelings, the more spiritual their religion was and the more spiritual they became. It led to gross practices of worship to these idols. And so Paul is correcting here the Corinthians so they don't confuse the ecstatic and the dramatic and the sensuous with the spiritual, the presence of God. And so Paul offers that first corrective, which is fundamental to everything in the Christian life and the church. We find it there in verses two and three. You were pagans. When you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. What he does there is verse two, say, look to your past when you were pagans in order to contrast the work of the Holy Spirit. Go back to what you were before you met Christ. Paul needed to remind them of where they had been and where they had come from. Led astray. You were led astray by the sensuous, the ecstatic to follow mute idols. Quite ironic here that the first list of 
gifts that he lists down in verses 8, 9, and 10 are all, uh, they're, they're more of the speaking gifts, public. But here we have a group of people that were following a mute idol, an idol, uh, a, a little God, a, a false God that could do nothing to change their life, nothing to change their situation. And yet now that they are in Christ, they serve the living God, the living and true God, who is dramatically changing their life from the inside out. And so Paul is working to paint a picture of these differences, what it is now to be in Christ and be empowered and indwelt by the Holy Spirit is not what you experienced back then in your pagan days. They're very different. Many in Corinth wanted to flaunt that view of the Spirit's work in their life. But the key here is that it's for the entire church. It's not for the super spirituals. It's not for self-gratification. There are other places where Paul would use that technique when he wrote the churches. For instance, in Ephesians, in chapter 2, he says, you were dead, remembering where you were before Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and whence you once walked, following the course of this world. In Titus, he wrote, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy. To the Galatians, he wrote, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Looking to the past, what you were, and now in Christ, this is the difference in verse 3. No one who is in Christ, or speaking in the Spirit, excuse me, in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. Jesus is a counterfeit. Jesus is no good. Jesus is dead. Jesus is damaged goods. And equally impossible for the Christian to say, Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. Anyone can speak the name or the phrase of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Anybody can say that. He's not talking about just saying it. He's talking about the heartfelt, spirit-led confession, expression of Christ Jesus is Lord. It's a setting aside of oneself and looking and trusting in Jesus, saying, he is my boss. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is Lord. That's one of the earliest confessions of the church. Jesus is Lord. Jesus itself in Matthew chapter 7 said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It very, comes across very clearly in Jesus' words and in his ministry. When he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter. And then the response to that was, many people will come to me in that day and they will say, Lord, didn't we get involved in ecstatic stuff? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons? And in your name, didn't we perform miracles? And then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. So what we need to see here in this Jesus corrective is that it is possible 
by the dramatic displays, the ecstatic, the emotional, the phenomenal, to cause confusion and bring that confusion into your camp. You can be a good speaker in the pulpit, close your Bible, tell some good stories, and draw people to you with the emphatic, the dramatic. You can find weak-willed people to follow you, especially when you close the word. But that's not who the Corinthians are in Christ. You were led astray as pagans to worship speechless idols, but the spirit of God in conversion has turned your heart toward Christ Jesus. That is the first work of the Holy Spirit. It is to draw you into that relationship with Christ to publicly confess Jesus Christ is Lord. That's not just some magical phrase that gets you into the kingdom of God. It is a setting of your, uh, really a dying to yourself and a turning to live for Christ. That is the work of the Spirit in you that brings that conviction and brings that confession. So every believer is a spiritual person in the most basic understanding of redemption. And the most basic understanding of confession here, it points to the work of the Holy Spirit. It can only happen by His doing. So, if you've been a person that has come out of a background where you were told you were not saved unless you spoke tongues, or worse yet, well, there's not anything worse than that. Forget that. That's not biblical. That's an addition to grace, and you can't do that. Salvation is by grace through faith. It does not say anything about speaking in tongues in addition to salvation or to prove you're saved. That's a spiritual wanting to cause division. And that division harms the bride of Christ. Later, Paul is going to use as an illustration of these first three verses, a picture of the body and how all of the different parts work together. We'll get there. You're looking at verses four through 11. As you continue reading through there, you'll notice the repetition, not so much the gifts, but I want you to notice that it is the same spirit at work. That's what he brings out. You'll see that several times, the same spirit or the one spirit or one in the same spirit. It all goes back to the Holy Spirit. It's a glorious tapestry that God has woven together, knitting together all of our different gifts and personalities and how he has created us, putting us all together by the one same spirit in the church. There are varieties of gifts. Friends, we would be rather boring and no one would listen if we were all preachers. We'd all be talking. It'd be kind of like at my house when my kids are on sugar. But there's variety of gifts, varieties of service. Not everybody can do what you do. Not everybody can do what I do. We have different gifts and abilities. You know, we have some people in this church that love to teach children. But if you put them in front of a class of senior adults, or you ask them to clean something up like uh, serve and maybe clean the bathroom, simple things. You ask them to sing a solo or to help lead in worship. Just impossible. You ask them to share the gospel. 
would get up and speak in front of thousands of people like Billy Graham, like an evangelist. I mean, we can't all do the same thing. This is the glory of God that he has gifted each one of us in different ways, in different types of service. We could put some of you back there on the computer to push the slides and, and to work the sound machine. And I don't know what would be coming up back here. You know, you start pushing buttons thinking you're doing something right. And we'd be sounding like, you know, Metallica or something in here instead of our praise and worship band. I don't know what would be going on. It'd be crazy. Varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities. But there's the same spirit, same Lord, same God giving to all. And this is the big, broad statement that the work of the Spirit in Christ Jesus our Lord, sent by the Father, there is the Trinity right here. He's active in the church, and we as the church are beneficiaries of his act. Then we move on into the grace corrective. The grace corrective is how we see these gifts. They are not manipulated or called upon by us. We don't create them for ourselves. But in answering the question about gifts, Paul makes a shift in the word that he uses at the beginning into a different word, which is charismata. That's where we get our word charismatic. Don't be scared. Preacher ain't going to start doing flips down the aisle. I'm not going to jump in the baptistry. There's some very interesting videos online you can watch about that kind of stuff. I'm not going to do that. But what I want you to know is that the root of charismata is the Greek word for grace. Grace. These, what we need to understand about spiritual gifts is that last word, gift. It is a grace gift of God. It is a grace gift. Now, the basic definition and understanding of grace is that which we don't deserve. And we might say, well, I'm not a charismatic, but in a in a way, as a follower of Jesus, we kind of are because you've been given a spiritual gift, not charismatic like you see in the extreme. That's not what I'm saying. But it is a grace gift from God in that sense. Because you receive the gift of grace from the Spirit of God for the service and ministry. Because these gifts, are that which we receive from God are, are under grace. You, you understand that, again, receiving what you do not deserve. We don't deserve that. But when he saves us, he doesn't just save us from something. He also saves us to something. When these people were lost and pagan, they were being led astray down a, a path, the wrong path and the wrong way of life. They were dead in their sins and whatever influence they were under was not of God. But now in Christ, they are a part of the church and they are to put these gifts to work. And when we put our gifts to work, we're acknowledging the grace of God in our life. Go back to the, the parable of the, the servants and the ta- uh, parable of talents or the parable of the ten minas in, in the Gospel of Luke. Very similar. Each, in the parable of talents, each servant is given a different amount of talents, but they all put them to work except for one. He didn't understand the grace of his master. He misunderstood his master. He was afraid of him. He put, buried it in the ground and did nothing with it. The other two put it to work, the gifts that they had been given, the talents they had been given, and they earned their master five more or two more. So in the church, we're to put these gifts to work, these grace gifts, as something which we do not deserve and yet something that we are blessed with to serve together. Here's how it works. If you get nothing else today, understand this. This is where, this is where I settled for the week. 
When we see these as grace gifts, gifts of the Spirit, it is not of our own doing. They are not deserved. And when we get that, we come to a place where we understand this, that the gifts say nothing of the possessor of the gift, but they say everything about the giver of the gift. This is why the gospel is so rich. It's because we don't just get the gospel once we believe in Christ and move on. Because not only has God granted us the grace needed to be saved and brought to life in Christ, but he has also graced us with these gifts needed to grow in grace, needed to grow and serve the kingdom of God. You go back to the very beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you'll see there in verse 4, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ or given you in Christ that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, we begin to understand the nature of these gifts. When we do, we are on the verge of developing some incredible God-glorifying ministries in the church, ways to serve. We remember this grace gift has to set our heart upright. Whatever gift or gifts you possess or I possess offer no proof of spiritual greatness, right? We don't show up on Sunday or any other time, and pull open our shirts with the theme song in the background saying we're Superman. We don't do a little celebratory dance when we score a touchdown for Jesus. It wouldn't be for super spiritual. It would be for servant of Christ. The grace offered to us by God allows us to serve him and to serve the church. It reflects upon our gracious God and Savior, Jesus Christ, when we put them into practice. Because in Christ Jesus, through the empowering of that Holy Spirit, you and I, the church, we are uniquely gifted and created to serve the King of Kings. One last correction and we'll be done. Looking at verse 12, I read into verse 12 and 13 and stopped there, but we could have continued. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would make that would, uh, would not make it any less a part of the body. This is the church body corrective, or we might say the unity corrective. He goes on in the teaching mode here, and I love this part of chapter 12 because I'm a kinesiology major in my undergraduate. This is like a whole two semesters of anatomy and physiology wrapped up into one simple statement, if it could have only been that simple. But we know our body is made up of a whole complex of systems. Nervous system, circulatory, muscular, lymphatic, skeletal, immune system, napping system. Okay, you, you'll get that. Maybe you're asleep and napping now. Okay, it's fine. But each one of these systems are interdependent upon another. If one fails, the rest start to fail with it. 
One goes down, the rest of the body suffers. And so Paul, picking up on that picture, goes into the, a list of the varieties of gifts as he's provided in 8 through 10, verses 8 through 10. They're not exhaustive. There's another list at the end of chapter 12. There's another list in Romans chapter 12. There's another list in Ephesians chapter 4. But the emphasis is the same in every location. These gifts are designed and given by God, empowered and granted by the Holy Spirit for the church. That's the corrective in verse 7. Look at that. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The manifestation of the Spirit is connected to the spiritual gift. So to each says, no one can say, I don't have one. It might just be that you're ignorant right now or uninformed. So hopefully today, this passage stirs in you a desire to seek it out and to seek God's word on that and what he has given you. So no one can say, I don't have one. No one can say, I have them all because he's given a variety of gifts. Nobody gets this for personal gratification. Why? Because it's good for the church. It's for the good of the church. So the list given early on is more, some more of the dramatic gifts, the more prominent things we might see in a worship service. The, gift, uh, the, the list at the end of chapter 12 is some of your service gifts, and the picture we need to remember is that there's not one more important than the other. They are all given for the good of the church. But Paul quickly turned the conversation not to an explanation of what each one is. That would have been helpful. But rather, he pointed to the church, and here's how they all work. He says, you are one body. You are the church. You are one body. You have a diversity of functioning members. Look at verses 14 through 20, but specifically at verse 18. It says, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. So the hand can't say to the eye, or the eye can't say to the foot, the foot can't say to the ear, I have no need of you. Or I'm not a part of the body. Could you imagine if we were all the same? And using the illustration that Paul is giving us here, what if we were all a huge giant eyeball? We might look like Mike Wazowski from Monsters, Inc. But what, what would happen if we were all the same in one giant eyeball and we lost our sight? There's nothing else there. Diversity of functioning members. We don't get to say, we don't need you. You remember as a kid, if I can't be the quarterback, I'm not going to play. Draw that line in the sand. Lack of humility there. Maybe there's a better quarterback. <laughs> Maybe there's a faster quarterback. She always gets to. He always gets to. Like people are playing favorites or something. Why does he always get that? Why does she always get that? As if we're in competition with one another in the church. It's not helpful. There is a diversity of gifts and yet a unity in purpose. And when we fail to appreciate God's design and God's gifting in the church, it creates a disharmony. So one body, that's the church. A diversity of functioning members, all designed by God. And we say... With conviction, no one is useless. And we understand the gift and the church serve to advance the kingdom purpose. Friends, you've been placed in the body of Christ. 
in the church by design. He has uniquely gifted you to serve here at Coastal Oaks Church. And it's my job as your pastor to help equip you, the saints, for ministry. Without you, Coastal Oaks Church would be lacking until God brings along someone else who is willing to serve with the gifts that you were given. But in the body of Christ, we have to also remember, we're not gifted for or evaluated on performance, but friends, you are gifted and empowered for service to the King of Kings. That's a glorious calling, a glorious calling. Another illustration that comes to mind is, you may not be familiar with golf. I love the game of golf, although I suffer when I play it, is a golf bag. In that golf bag, there's anywhere from 12 to 14 different golf clubs. Some carry a few more, some a few less. But each one of those golf clubs is designed to do something different. The first stroke of the hole is off of a tee box. Let's call it a par four, 400 yards. You pull out your driver because the driver is the big fat one with a big fat head on it. It's the longest one in the bag. It's got a, a, a really flat surface. It's angled just slightly, maybe nine, 10 degrees, 10 and a half degrees, maybe. Just depends on how you are. Who, but it's designed to go long. <laughs> Here's the catch straight. I goof that one up all the time. Uh, but that's what it's designed to do. It's designed to get out there anywhere from 250 to 300 yards. Okay? Next, you would use, uh, if you're good, a Nine iron, a pitching wedge. If you're bad, you're going to use whatever will get you that down the way that didn't get there off the tee box. But you're, you're using a club that's got more angle to it. So the ball flies higher, not as far, but it goes higher. So that hopefully, as it's designed, it'll just plop right down onto the green. Real close to the flag would be helpful. Then you want to pull out your putter. Now, the putters are short, usually the shortest one in the bag. They're stubby sometimes. They got an extremely flat face to it. All come, they, they come in different sizes, but the goal is this. You want to hit the ball so that it will roll. You don't want the putter to put the ball in the air. That's not going to work well. But you're, you're hoping just maybe 5 to 10 foot putt and goes right in the hole, you get your birdie. Now, why wouldn't you use a driver to putt the ball? Because it's not what the driver is used for. It's not what it's designed for. You're misusing that driver. Why wouldn't you use a putter in the sand trap? Well, the sand trap's meant to harm your game. You're not supposed to hit into the sand. But if you do, there is a club designed for that that will cut through the grain. And it's, it, it can be, for the club, I would be surely quite painful because the sand and its rock and the little crystals is going to cut through the metal. Mine's beat up because my ball likes the sand. But you're not going to use a putter that's designed just to go a few feet and roll to get out of a sand trap. You've got to have something that's going to cut through all the muck and the mire of the sand. You wouldn't use a wedge off the tee box if you've got 400 yards to go because that ball's only going to go about 100 yards. You're going to be there all day. You see, each club's designed to work a certain way and for a particular purpose in the hands of the master. And that's what God has done with spiritual gifts. He has created each one of us, put us in his bag, the church, and uses us in his hands. As his hands, his feet. 
The effectiveness of Coastal Oaks Church is directly related to you and to me as individual members of the church discovering and putting to work our God-given grace giftedness because he has uniquely designed each one of us and gifted us to serve in his church. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org. May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord.